Heavenly Father, we once again come before you on a beautiful Sunday morning. And Lord, we are in need of you doing work in each heart and life in this room today. And Lord, we have come to worship you. I pray that you would accept our offering of song. We pray for the special music that has been prepared for this morning, that it would bless you. And Lord, that I be able just to explain your word with clarity and simplicity. And yet, Lord, that your word would minister to us in the deepest parts of our soul, conforming us to the image of your Son. Lord, the truest essence of worship is not what is experienced here on Sunday morning, but in how we live throughout this week. And Lord, we ask that you would do something this morning where you could reap the glory to your name throughout this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 John chapter 1. I want to read just one verse this morning, and then I want to go back and get the context. So we'll end up with the whole chapter, 1 John chapter 1, all ten verses, I believe. But let's just start with verse 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. One more time, read along silently as I read out loud. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we just come in prayer. and Lord, I just ask for the ability to preach your word simply this morning. There are just so many things in this one chapter. There is no way that we can even begin to scratch the surface of the beauty here. But, Lord, I just ask that you would give ability to bring forth the things that the Spirit would have to be preached today. And, Lord, that you would be glorified, that your name would be lifted up, that truly we would be led to worship you in a way that would change our behavior for this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This one verse here in verse 4 is a verse that people like. It's, it's one of those encouraging verses in the Bible. And uh, I don't know of any person that really would not want uh, what this verse talks about. I mean, if you're one of those doom and gloom prophets, I mean, the lights dim when you walk into the room and, and uh, you really enjoy that, please Please uh, see me after church. We'll make some time, uh, even if there is no time available, we'll make some to help you out of that mess. Uh, That's not where God wants His people to be. John tells us the whole reason for writing this book, the, the reason he is writing these things, is so that your joy may be full. Now, the word may in there is important. Because... Something may or may not be. Uh, That's the whole idea. Uh, I don't know if you remember when you were in grade school, you'd say, 
teacher, can I? And the teacher would say, that's not the issue of whether you can or can't. The, the right word is may. Uh, may I be excused from the classroom? May I go and use the restroom? Uh, and because uh, the teacher has the right to reserve that point, to say, no, you cannot go right now. You have to wait until the lesson is over. And John is writing here, and while he is not trying to keep us from having our joy full, he's saying, you can do things in your life that are going to deplete or take away the joy that God would have you to have. I remember hearing a sermon many years ago. Uh, A preacher preached a sermon on that God has in heaven a room, and in that room He's got everything that He wanted to give you, but you weren't in a position to receive His blessings. Now, I don't know if that's true. There's no verse in the Bible that says such a thing. But I do know this, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, if I were to ask a question, take a poll, and I'm not asking or do not desire for anyone to raise their hand or not raise their hand. I want this in your heart between you and God. How many of you would say, Preacher, my joy in serving Jesus this past week is just so full that I can't take any more? I would dare say we'd have very few hands going up. And I want you to understand something. That's not God's fault. God did not design us to live in fear and doubt, in Defeat, in frustration and anger. God did not design those that call upon His name in faith, those that have biblical salvation. God did not call you to live like that. John says, And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. I don't know, a week goes by that I don't get some kind of offer in the mail for some new program or some new thing or somebody has a new cause that, you know, the church is not doing its job. It's, uh, we need to, uh, well, I, uh, a little while ago I had somebody call me up and says, we need to pass a constitutional amendment that parents ought to take care of their children. And I'm sitting here going... That's not the place where that ought to be decided, my friend. I don't want to give the government that kind of authority. Do you? Uh, The government steps in when human character falls, fails. The government has to step in. We have all of the pundits running around talking about gun control. Uh, with the events of this past week, 
you can control guns all you want, but until you get a hold of the idiot that's holding the trigger, you're not going to solve any problems at all. Let me, uh, that's just not where the answer is. And we, as God's children, ought to be leading this depressed and frustrated world toward the cross. But so often, when the world looks at us, do they see any difference? Do they see something that would make them want our Savior? I've often tried this witnessing to people of different religions. They'll start talking about their religion and how good it is. And I always try to bring it to the point that religion is not the answer. Religion itself is the problem. It really is. But sometimes I'll say, hey, what, what has your religion done? I mean, stop and think about this. Look at countries. If we can pick on the Catholics for a moment. Because they do believe in political and a marriage of the political and religious and all of these things being the same. Uh, Look at the countries where the Catholic Church holds sway and controls the government and the people and it's all together. What kind of countries are those? Are people moving into those countries or are people moving out of those countries? I asked a man one time, he was trying to tell me all of the proponents of Islam and how great a religion it was. And I said, of every major war that's going on in our world at this time, Islam is involved. And you tell me it's a religion of peace? I said, can you show me the great societies that Islam has built? I can take you to the slave markets that Islam built. And would build again today, if only given the opportunity. Read the newspapers. That's one of ISIS's first, the Islamic State's first proposals is to bring back the slave trade. Because it's key to their religion and the way it works. That's what religion does, my friend. I read this story a while back, someone said... What have the Baptists ever done for the world? And the preacher looked at him and said, Freedom of conscience. And walked away. You see, the Baptist people historically are the, is the only religion in this world Other religions have embraced it, but they, there were no Quakers before the late 1500s. There, there were none of these religions that we have today, but there, there were Baptists, and before them Anabaptists, and before them a multitude of names. But they all believed in something that was taught in the Bible. We call it the priesthood of the believer. 
that every individual is directly responsible to God for their faith relationship with God. John is touching on that right here. You see, joy is not just what makes you happy. How many of you have ever been made happy by food? Only to be made very sad a little while later. Because you had too much of a good thing. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Oh, okay, I see some other people fessing up. That makes me feel a little better. We can have a little fun on Sunday morning. We're human, amen? Joy is not just happiness, my friend. Because there's a lot of things that will make you happy right now that will bring great sorrow to your life just a little way down the road. But joy is something that you can have in a prison cell. Read Acts chapter 16 as Paul and Silas were singing hymns. They weren't singing, I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows. Life is so bad. No, they were singing praises to God. How do you do that when you've been beaten and mistreated and lied about and left uncared for in a vermin-infested prison cell? It's called joy. Nehemiah told the children of Israel one of the most famous verses in the Bible, the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. How many of you today would say, Preacher, I could use some more spiritual strength? Well, if you need strength, spiritual strength, You've got to get joy. You see, joy makes the heavy burdens light. Joy allows you to take the eyes off people who are trying to hurt you and put them on Jesus, who loves you more than any other person could love you. you, you the problem is, we need this thing called joy. Well, how are you going to get it? Well, John says you're going to get it by the things that I write unto you. So... That's our introduction. Now we've got to get into the things that he wrote. Amen? Well, we've got to see what John wrote here because he said the purpose in writing these things is so that we could have a full joy. And the idea is, with the word may in there, that if you don't pay attention to the things that are written in this passage, you're not going to have the joy that you ought to have. But God wants you to have it. It's available. So let's start verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Now, if we have any grammarians out there, they may say, well, wait a minute. Uh, that, That tense is not quite right. Nothing was from the beginning. Well, God was. He already was before the beginning began. And so, it says, that which was from the beginning. And now John is going to describe who this is that was from the beginning, which we have heard. So, this is someone, John, uh, the beloved apostle. This was someone he heard speak, which we have seen with our eyes. Okay? He saw him. 
which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now let's go through those descriptions. Did John hear Jesus preach? Yeah, we went through one of the stories today. John was with Jesus as he was preaching in the house in Capernaum. He saw him with his eyes. He saw Jesus. Uh, And sometimes people, uh, when they paint Jesus, they always like this effeminate thing. But I want to tell you something. Jesus was not a long-haired hippie. Jesus was a man. How many of you have ever gone camping and slept out in the woods? You like a sleeping bag? How many like some kind of padding under the sleeping bag? And some kind of padding under the padding, if you can get it. A cot. I mean, all those things. Has anybody ever just slept out on the ground, and don't admit this, but, I mean, you slept out on the ground, maybe got caught in the woods overnight, and all you had was your coat. Tell you what, that wouldn't be very comfortable. But Jesus and his disciples, as they traveled through the land of Galilee back and forth, were constantly sleeping out under the stars with nothing but their robes. Tell you what, to wake up in the morning and be able to move after a night like that, you got to be a pretty tough guy. John said, listen, we've seen him, we've heard him. Now, this next phrase is a little strange. He said, we have looked upon. Now, doesn't that kind of... He, he already said, we, we have seen with our eyes... Which we have looked upon. Can I challenge you that I believe what John was referring to here was when that body was laid in the tomb on the crucifixion day. You see, he saw him with his eyes the whole time he was preaching. But he was talking about something very different here when it says we have looked upon. I think another time he is referring to was when Jesus ascended up into heaven off the Mount of Olives. What did he do? All the disciples just went. They looked. They couldn't say anything. Jesus wasn't talking back to them. He wasn't giving them any more instruction. It says, we we have looked upon him as he lay there in the tomb. We looked upon him as he ascended into heaven. He said, which our hands have handled. That means that the disciples physically touched Jesus. He told Thomas, stick your hands in the nail prints. Thrust your hand into the wound in my side. He said, touch me and feel me. I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and bones. Do you get the picture here? John's talking about Jesus. 
you can't have joy. Not biblical joy, not true joy, unless you're connected to the Savior. That's the only place you can get joy. And then he goes on to say, For the life was manifested, verse 2, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you, now here's what they show, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. He says, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've looked upon him, we actually reached out and touched him. He made manifest unto us that eternal life. Now the word manifest means simply to make plain. Uh, Even in this day, uh, an airplane that is carrying passengers and cargo will have a manifest, a ship that travels into harbor will have a manifest. The word means a statement of everything that is on the ship. It's made plain of what the cargo actually is. And John is saying, we saw it, we bear witness to it, it was made plain to us, God explained to us everything about that eternal life. Now, if you're into health food at all, you cannot be helped by, but be overwhelmed by all of the articles and all of the things that promise you an end of aging. Uh, this will take away your wrinkles, and this will make you 20 years younger, and this will, and, and on and on and on and on it goes. I remember staying up late one night working on a project, and so I just turned through the radio, and this guy comes on. And he says, the human body is designed to live forever. It kills itself. I wanted to call him up. I couldn't. And just say, then why don't you believe that Methuselah lived 969 years just like the Bible said? You you believe all this nutsy stuff. But you've got to understand something. You can't have joy without Jesus. And the greatest source, the greatest place where you're going to understand that joy is in understanding eternal life. See, understanding eternal life means some things, my friend. Eternal life means that you're never going to die. Oh, wait a minute. Every one of us has been to a funeral. We've had funerals right here in our church. Well, that's the body. But that eternal life is talking about Jesus, who John saw die on the cross, and saw him after he came back to life. That is eternal life. And what did Jesus say? 
says, I'm going to give you that same life that I have. Most religion says, will you do this and do that? And if you'll do this and do that good enough, maybe someday you can go to a place that's just like hell and take care of the rest of it for 500 years, 1,000 years. Depends on how much money your family's willing to put into the kitty there. And uh, we'll, we'll get you out and then you can live in heaven forever. That's one version of it. Do you know people have killed each other over their list of to-dos in order to get to heaven? Does that make any sense? We're going to break God's commandments because you don't agree with me and, and my list on how to get to heaven. So we'll kill you. By the way, if you could get to heaven by your to-do list, would you have an opportunity to have any joy? Or would you be so consumed with your to-do list that that's all you would be able to think about? If you wanted to get to heaven, I've met many people say, Preacher, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. You know what my favorite question is. Can you tell me what they are? Uh, uh, Well, um, Jesus saves. Well, that's a good try, but that's not one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Do good unto others. I'm sorry, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. Do you think if you were going to try to get to heaven by keeping them, you ought to know what they are? But see, that's not the job of the Ten Commandments. We'll get into that in our study on Thursday nights of the book of Galatians, exactly the purpose and the scope and what the law is all about. But right here it says that John says that eternal life was manifested You see, if you have your eternity settled, what else do you really need to worry about, my friend? What can steal your joy if the issue of your eternity is settled? That's what John's saying here. And he said that that life was manifested, we saw it, It was with the Father. It was manifested unto us. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, listen, those things that I saw, that I heard, that I experienced that was made manifest to me, I'm declaring them to you. And the reason I'm declaring them to you is so that we can have fellowship. Now, John doesn't speak expressly uh, of the church in his uh, epistle here. But the context of the greater Bible explains to us that that fellowship is to occur within the auspices of the local church. See, people love this universal invisible thing because then there are no limits or no boundaries and no responsibilities. 
but within the confines of a visible, local, physical assembly, if I know Jesus as my Savior, and I have that life manifest, I understand what it means to have eternal life. And you have faith in Jesus Christ, and you understand what it means to have eternal life, then we have more in common than you can have with almost any other person on the face of the earth. You say, well, how does that work? Well, how long is eternity, my friend? I mean, we may spend 30 or 40 years together here on earth in the fellowship of this church... But that won't even be a blink of an eye in eternity. And we're going to be together in Christ for all eternity. Now, we've been going through a series on faith. And we've been talking about how faith is objective. Meaning that our faith is settled in an object. The Word of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if my faith, (coughs) excuse me, if my faith is in Jesus and I have that life that He gives, guess what? I'm going to have fellowship. I'm going to have things in common. I'm going to have a desire to be with people who have the same faith. That I do. This is one of the reasons why that as your pastor, I make a big deal about differences in doctrine. As you see, our fellowship is based on what the Bible teaches. Our fellowship is based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not just an eclectic group of people that has decided to come together. The Bible teaches that the local church is a group of people that have covenant together to serve God. And that there ought to be some agreement there and there's some fellowship there. And and John says, I want your fellowship to be with us. He said, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He said, these things write we unto you that your joy might be full. You know one of the reasons why we lose our joy? Is because we allow things to get between us and other people. Even in the fellowship of our church. We think that Maybe we don't have to listen to certain things that the Bible says, or we choose, want to choose what we want to believe. But I want to challenge you today that if you want this joy to be full thing, you've got to start with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand that He has eternal life. And that there aren't 45 different Jesuses. The Jesus that needs his mother to help him out 
is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that just looks and smiles at you and says, Oh, I understand. You did the best that you could. That Jesus isn't in the Bible. It's a different God. The Jesus that gives you an excuse to do whatever you want and still call yourself a Christian because he put these things in your heart in the first place. This is a purpose-driven Jesus. Isn't in the Bible. See, if you want your joy to be full, you've got to get a hold of the right Jesus. What was one of the things Jesus taught all through his ministry? He said, there's going to be many that come in my name. And what did he say? You're going to receive them. He was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you're going to believe those are the true ones because you will not believe that I am the true one. And so we go on to verse 5 here. And it says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now, I want to challenge you. There are those that really try to make understanding the Bible a very difficult thing. Uh, What part of that statement does anybody have a problem with? God is light. What is light? Light is that which allows you to see. Amen? If it were not for the light of the sun, we'd all freeze to death in half a millisecond. It is light that gives us every good thing. In Him is... God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. Now, how many people have you ever heard say, well, that Jesus stuff is good and believing in the Bible is okay, but, you know, you can get too much of a good thing there. How many of you have heard somebody say that? Uh, You don't have to be a radical and show up at every service. Now, talking about giving 10% of your income now, don't you think that is a little excessive? Well, the government takes 30%. Don't you think that's excessive? But see, God does it the right way. He trusts you with the whole thing. He doesn't withhold. But He also won't bless. You see... You can't get too biblical. You cannot get too much Jesus in your life. The nutcases and freaks and axe murderers and everything. Let me tell you something. The Bible is not the weirdest thing about them. The Bible is not the reason they do what they do. It's always somebody or something else, but the devil always likes his people to hold the Bible in their hand for good measure. I remember one of our presidents used to walk around like this all the time when he was lying through his teeth. 
amazing. Let me tell you something. The devil knows the Bible far better than you do, or I do, or any living person. But the Bible says, in him is God is light. You can't get too much Jesus. You can't get too much Bible. The Bible won't make you crazy. Crazy people use the Bible just like they do their television sets and their guns and anything else they get a hold of. A crazy person is going to be crazy no matter what you give them. That's not the problem. Because you're here this morning. You're not supposed to be crazy. Amen? But if you get a hold of what's in this book, if you will understand that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, you can have joy at the funeral of your loved one. You, and I'm talking about me, I had to preach my mom's funeral a couple years ago. And I remember going, Lord, how am I going to do this? In him is light and no darkness at all. You know what? I can trust him as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I can trust him as I walk through the veil of suffering in this life. You see, the problem is when you start thinking that God has a problem. That's what John's saying here. When you start thinking that there's a problem with God or a problem with what He requires or that maybe you don't need to do what is being said in this book, you are accusing God of being on the darker side of things, that there's a problem with God. And I want to challenge you, you cannot have joy, you cannot have peace, you cannot have anything. While you're accusing God of having done something wrong. The number one mental issue we face in our society today is depression. Anybody want to argue that point? Have you ever seen a clinical description of depression, my friend? It's 50 pages long in the short form. There is no living human being that could not be diagnosed as clinically depressed if such a diagnosis was desired. You know what depression is? Depression is the body's response to suppressed anger. That's what depression is. It's what you do when you cannot resolve issues in your own soul. See, most people don't have enough guts to admit that the, the, who they're really mad at is God. Oh, there's a few that shake their fist at God. But they're, uh, shall we say, the low IQ crowd. 
I mean, those are the guys that run around with bumper stickers that say no fear, no brains, no nothing else either. Uh, I mean, just ridiculous. You're going to shake your fist at God. Be my guest. God will not be impressed. In fact, I imagine that he's got so much to do that he's not even going to bother worrying about it. You're not going to upset God. But if you want joy, you have to understand something about God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe what? That he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You must believe that God is God, and God is good. And that's what James is saying right here when he says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The only place you can get a true understanding of what's in this life is from God And God makes no mistakes. He has never transgressed His Word, nor will He ever. Verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, most of us, when we read that verse, we think, well, if I say I'm a Christian and I go out and do the bar thing and, and the internet thing and all of that during the week and and live two lives, that's what this verse is talking about. No, it is talking about that, but not primarily about that. Put it in the context of the verse preceding it. If we say that we love God, and we think He made a mistake, that's what that verse is talking about. If we say we love God, but I don't want too much of this religious thing, I might become like pastor. I've had people say that. You know what? Don't become like me. Become like Jesus. That's what we're trying to be, amen? But see, if you can admit in your heart or if you believe in your heart that God has made some kind of mistake that maybe he left you on the short end of life I've had people say pastor you're just so lucky no luck had nothing to do with it but faith had to do with it you want joy get to know Jesus you want joy Understand that eternal life that Jesus had, He wants to give to us by faith. And if we have that, everything is settled. But God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He does not make mistakes. He does not do things wrong. You cannot, you cannot get too much God in your life. It's not possible. You say, Pastor, you're being repetitive. Yeah, and loud too. Because I can scream at the top of my lungs and people walk out of this auditorium and not get a thing I said this morning. You're not listening. You know why? Let me tell you why. 
because we lie and do not the truth. That's what verse 6 says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You'll notice the personal pronoun in verse 7 is we, not me. Why did he put a plural pronoun in there? Because you can't have fellowship all by yourself. I met a guy one time. He said, do you talk to yourself? I said, well, I don't know that I'd admit it. He says, I talk to myself. I talk to myself all the time. He said, do you want to know why? I said, you're going to tell me. I know you are. You want to tell me. He says, I talk to myself for two reasons. Number one, he says, I like to talk to intelligent people. He said, and number two, I like to hear intelligent people talk. If that's your idea of fellowship, you're in trouble. You're in deep trouble. But could I challenge you, that's why people would rather have animals for fellowship than humans? And I'm not condemning Fido and Kitty and all those things. But if you love them more than you do human beings, you've got a problem. Because our fellowship is supposed to be with one another. Do you know if you get two people in a room, you're going to have disagreement? Is anybody shocked by that statement? Would you hold up your hand and say, Pastor, I don't believe that. You're married. You believe that. Amen? But the problem is working through it. It's not not having disagreement. It's working through that disagreement. You see, this is what verse 7 is talking about. It's not about you individually walking in the light and being cleansed from your sin. It is we walking in the light as He is in the light, having fellowship with one another. And the Holy Spirit of God works in my heart and your heart to make us work together. And this thing called church is supposed to happen. Can we say amen to that? Hello? Do you believe that? You see, that's what this verse is, that's what this passage is talking about. It's a plural context here. There is only one way that I can get along with another human being and have joy, and that's for Jesus to get in between. He smooths out the rough spots. You see, the next part is talking about the rough spots. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When I was a kid, I used to listen to country music and I've long repented of that sin. But there was a uh, country singer wrote a song. To know me is to love me because I'm perfect, nearly perfect in every way. And I remember listening to that song as a kid and going, there's something really wrong with a man 
who would write a song like that. Now, I think he had three or four wives, and that might explain a little bit uh, of the reason why he had all of those problems. And, and that's endemic with that kind of lifestyle. But why, as a Christian, are we always first to accuse someone else? Verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, We call God a liar. And if you can call God a liar, His Word is not in you. I don't know how many times I've read through this chapter and missed the word fellowship. which is found in the context of the local church. See, this is what we mean by taking a passage and not only putting it in its historical grammatical setting, but putting it in its overall biblical context. When the word fellowship is used in your Bible, it's talking about the relationship of believers in the local church. Follow it out and find out. You'll you'll agree with me. And verse 5, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If you're sitting here and you're accusing God of making a mistake, you're in verse 6 on the wrong side of the verse. You're walking in darkness. God doesn't make mistakes. You see, these things have been written unto us that our joy might be full. I didn't intend to put this illustration in, but I hope my wife doesn't mind. But this week, 27 years for us. I'm kind of happy about that. Somebody said, how many good ones did you have? 27. There's been a lot of joy. You know what? There's been a lot of suffering too. There's been some disagreements. But she always admitted she's wrong. And no. No. Men, if you want a key... To a happy marriage, you better learn two words. I'm sorry. You you better learn those words or it's not going to happen. You see, that's what this passage is talking about. If we say we have not sinned, if we think the problem is someone else and not us, guess what? Not only are we calling our spouse a liar, we're calling God a liar doesn't work that way, my friend. But one of the things I usually include in in my wedding sermons 
is one of the most beautiful gifts that God has given us in marriage is the promise of tomorrow. As many tomorrows as God gives us, we've promised to spend them together. So when I mess up today, I can say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And that promise of tomorrow holds so that we can start again. You see, that's where you get joy. God wants you. He wants everyone in here. He wants our joy to be full. Now, what's full? Full is when you can't put any more in. Amen? Well, somebody might have a bigger tank than you, but that's not your concern. Your concern is your tank. Amen? God wants it to be full. But how does it get full? Number one, you've got to understand that Jesus Christ is God. And that He manifests eternal life to the disciples which have witnessed that eternal life to you and I. And once you have that eternal life, you understand that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. God doesn't make mistakes. Yes, but my husband sure does. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. If you want to put up with that husband, you've got to get your eyes off him and put it on God. But you don't know my boss at work. No, and don't introduce me either. I already know enough mean people. But the simple truth of the matter is this. Your boss can't steal your joy. Only you can. Well, you don't know what that person has done to me. No, maybe I don't. But I'll tell you where the answer is. It's understanding that God hasn't made a mistake in putting them in your life. And that not all of the problem is them. And if I want joy, I go to God and I get taken care of the problems that I know about. And He takes care of the ones I don't know about. We're out of time, but that's what it means to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess what we know is wrong. God takes care of the things that we don't even know is wrong. And if it's something that we need to uh, deal with another person about, there'll come a time when God will bring it to your mind and make you deal with it if you have faith. You see, John wrote these things that your joy may be full. Now, in my Bible, verse 4 is right here. Verse 10 
is right here. And there's nothing magical or spiritual about that other than compare these two verses. You see, that if that we say, if, I'm sorry, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, that's the opposite of having our joy full. If your joy is full, you've taken care of all those things. If your joy isn't full, I want you to think about it. There's something in your life where you're accusing God of making a mistake and unwilling to ask Him to show you your sin. You want to get that joy full? Start right there in verse 10. Work your way back. And your life will be full of joy. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would work in this time of invitation. We pray that we would worship you this morning. That we would be honest enough to look to see where we've accused you of darkness. And that we would confess those sins to you. And we would remember that you are the Son of God and God the Son, that you have eternal life. And that eternal life will bring us into fellowship one with another. And Lord, that's where our joy is. As we walk this road together, serving you. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to minister to hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.